love you, Lord, yeah. Oh. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Oh. Bringing us as far, Lord. <laughs> we couldn't have did it by ourselves, Lord. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But if it wasn't for your grace huh, and your mercy, Lord. He's a good God, yo. I love that the songwriter said, he's a good God, that's why I'll ever praise his name. Not because of what he gave me, not because he, of what he's done for me, but just praise him because he's a good God. Yeah, I love it, I love it. Bless you, bless you. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Bless you for this morning. Bless you, Reg T. Richard, for being here with us this morning. Thank you so much for all you do for us here at 45th Street Baptist Church. The tone you set from historical to prophetical. Thank you for reminding us of where we've been, where we are, and where we can go through music. Thank God for so good today to celebrate in the presence of obvious blessings in life. I'm, I'm looking at my brother Walt. Amen. Two weeks ago he was in the hospital. Today he's in this hospital. It's important to him. Bless you, bless you, Walt. Bless you, bless you. So good to see you. You ought to be celebrating at home. He's living proof that God is blessing us, taking care of us. Walt don't know how to be if he ain't walking through 45th Street at some point anyway. So good to see him. Always encouraging. Always encouraging. We thank God for him. Continue praying for him. Continue praying for the family of Karen Hughley in the home going of her mother service will be this Wednesday details will be distributed to you they sent them to me but I, I just know y'all need to read them <laughs> so it'll come out to you we'll send it out bless Karen and her family doesn't matter I don't think the relationship but there's something about a mama when you lose somebody, it's hard. There's something about a mama. When you lose somebody, it's real hard. There's something about a parent, let me say that. So pray for them. We started last week on a sermon series that we've entitled, This Is Us. This Is Us. Good news for imperfect families. Good news for imperfect families. And we started out last week talking about my real life family. Yeah. Not, not, the one that I, not the one that I put out on social media where everything is good. Not take number 25 on the camera. I'm talking about the first take when everything is messed up. <laughs> yeah. Or the, 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 the picture after you finish with the one you like. Yeah, yeah, real life, my real life family is like most of us on these Zoom calls sometimes during the day when we all dressed up up top. And some of y'all still got them pajamas on at the bottom. And yeah, yeah, Zoom has taught us how to, almost, almost encouraged us to play those kind of games, but we've been doing that for a while anyway. Yeah, you got your I'm at work shirt <laughs> sitting on one side that you can put on and button up. And that's what we do to people. That's what we do. My real life family, we put on the this is us in public. But the real us, we struggle sometimes. And can I tell you, I'd rather see the struggle. I would. I'd rather see the struggle. It's encouraging to know. Not that I'm wishing bad on anybody, but just that I'm not the only one going through something. 
Everybody else seems like they're perfect. And last week in the message, we said people come into these stained glass menageries and they try to make everybody in the church setting believe that everything is okay with them. And the truth is we're all just putting on airs or a facade. But this is actually the place you can come for healing. And so we worked on that topic last week. This week we want to turn to another aspect because we're talking about the family this month. We want to talk about another aspect of the family as we go through telling folk this is us. And I want to talk this week about the worst things that good parents do. All right, the worst things that good parents do. Yeah. Because even the best parents make mistakes. Even the best parents in their best intentions have issues. And that doesn't mean in the total sum of parenting that they're bad parents. It simply means that given the choices of those circumstances, they didn't make the best choice. Or perhaps they started out with the best of intentions and, and the factors changed and it didn't work out like they thought it should. But the worst things that good parents do. And because this is more teaching, I want to tell you, I wish, you know, I wish I could delve into a scripture and come out and preach a whole sermon on each, each point that I'm going to make today. And perhaps I could, but it would take us into some months to do that. So I just kind of want to give them to you today in bullet form. And hopefully you can write, you can jot them down and, and, and and study them later. Almost all of the points that I will give you will come exclusively from Proverbs today. Proverbs is a powerful. And the reason Proverbs is powerful is because Solomon was known as the wisest man who ever lived. And would you believe it that Solomon spent a lot of time in his writings, Solomon wrote Proverbs, most of them anyway, in his writings talking about parenting. So that must have been a topic that was important to him. Listen, he said, Proverbs 1 and 8 in the New Living Translation reads, My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. Right there off the bat, Richard, chapter 1 of Proverbs, he starts going in, talking about parenting. He knows how important parenting is. And it's interesting that the last proverb, the 31st proverb is the standard by which all women want to be known by. They want to be a Proverbs 31 woman. Well, the truth of the matter is that too was written, that was written within this book of instruction. And supposedly it says, it says from, right, it said it was written by King Lemuel, but that was a euphemism for Solomon. This is instruction from Solomon. Now, who better to give this instruction to than the man who grew up in the most dysfunctional house in the world? Solomon. Solomon came up. If he had to put a this is us, David's family would be a good show for TV right now. Yes, sir. If, you, if you've never read on what was going on, David was something else. From the sheepfold to everything else he did, he had some issues. And yet, and yet, despite those issues, he was known, after man, known as a man after God's own heart. What, what, what rich learning we can get from this family. And, and, and guess what, Red? Solomon had to grow up watching that. He had to grow up listening and learning from his daddy, who was, who was let's just say, um, not always the best example of what a father should be, of what a parent should be. And yet at every turn, for every negative you give against David, I can come back and give you a positive. That's the kind of schizophrenic household Solomon grew up in. And so I think he's perfect for teaching us his, um, his teaching encompasses the entire book. And if you've never read Proverbs, there are 31 chapters in it. So if you want to just take a month or so and identify some reading, then choose Proverbs. Pick a, a chapter a day. And you can go through it in a month. And that's a great, great exercise, particularly if you're a new parent. 
Yeah. So as soon as Solomon, as soon as Solomon uh, is old enough to assume the throne that his father had left, uh, his father's now gone, the Lord comes to him and asks Solomon, tell me what you want and I will bless you. And Solomon was wise enough, based on his father's teaching, to know that he should have a great relationship with God. And so he tells him, uh, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. And because Solomon could have asked for anything his mind could fall on, but he chose wisdom, God loved that and honored him and gave him wisdom and he gave him a bonus. Yeah, gave him wisdom and a black rewards card, all right? Told him, you can get wisdom and riches with it. In other words, you can get it all. You can get it all because God was pleased with him. And so Solomon, who has been called the smartest man who ever lived, who's also been called the richest man who ever lived, also fell straight into the same immorality trap that his father did. With everything for him, Solomon began marrying women for their political alliances from other nations instead of staying with women who had the same set of beliefs that he had he ended up with 600 wives and concubines this man who has all the riches in the world who has all the money in the world chose the world and his later writings would reflect how he regretted it why am i saying all this because if you're going to learn parenting from somebody then learning from somebody who's been been through something. There are two ways you can learn things in life, y'all. Two ways, two primary ways. You can ask God for wisdom before you get into a situation and ask him to guide you um, sincerely so that you can master it. That's one way. Or two, you can buy it. You can go through the experience yourself and see how that works for you. I guarantee you somebody here listening to me is living on some bought wisdom. And you wish you had done it the other way beforehand because bought wisdom comes hard. Oh, yeah. Bought wisdom comes and you got to say on the other side of that bought wisdom, I, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah, that's, that's bought wisdom. Uh, uh, sometimes, y'all, it's okay to learn because somebody tells you something. It's okay to listen to them and avoid the consequences that goes with it. My good friend uh, and brother in ministry, Tadara Jarman, says, all the time, it has been saying since we were students at Western High School, you can tell somebody how hot an oven is all day long, but for some reason they don't want to believe you until they touch it. And it's true. It's true. So what are some of the worst things, y'all, that even good parents do? The worst thing, I'm talking about showing up good parents. You may have had uh, a Model A parent, but even they have some issues sometimes. The first thing they can do is baby their child. Yeah, first thing they do, baby, baby their children, baby them. Watch this. Proverbs 29 and 21 says, a servant pampered from childhood will become a rebel. A servant pampered from childhood will become a rebel. Watch this now. There are two words that you need to know about. They are correction and instruction. Correction and instruction. They come from that same proverb scripture that I read you. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. Correction and instruction. They're important if you want your child to be raised balanced. Balanced, okay? The Hebrew word for correction is used 25 times in Proverbs. 25 times. And it has to do with the concept of corrective discipline. In other words, when I choose to discipline you, it's to correct some error in your thinking or your actions. And my correction is designed to do that. The idea, that's corrective discipline. Discipline runs like a thread. When you read Proverbs, you'll see discipline pop up throughout. It's like a thread in the tapestry of the book of Proverbs. 
Every conscientious parent needs to study this topic. You need to do it best when they're young. When they're young. The word instruction is the same Hebrew word that's meant for the law, Torah. Torah. The Bible tells us that a father specifically, according to their culture, has the need to lovingly discipline their children. As a matter of fact, the Jewish law, the Jewish instruction manual for fatherhood has several things that a father must do in order to raise his child, specifically his son, must do. Some have-tos, which means he has to be there, has to be involved in order to do that teaching. He has to be the instructor primarily of his children. Nobody else gets to claim that mantra but the father. And then we're going to be gender specific in some areas and gender neutral in others because I believe parenting is not a 50-50 venture. I'm going to come out and say that right now. You can put this at the head. This ain't from Solomon. This is from Donnell. Parenting is a 100-100 is a venture, not 50-50. If I got a child, then I have 100% of the responsibility to take care of that child, not 50% of it. No, no, Karen's responsibility doesn't stop at 50 and mine starts. If Karen never did anything for our children, and thank God she did, I still have 100% of the responsibility to make sure that the children are okay. And I believe she thinks the same way about the children as well. Under those circumstances, neither can lose. But think about a world where a parent is only willing to do their 50. That becomes a problem somewhere. No matter how you say it, the child's going to end up losing. So why are correction and instruction necessary? Why is that necessary? First of all, correction and instruction give confidence to your children. Oh yeah, gives them confidence. They prepare them for a life on their own because that's going to happen eventually. We're all working for the ultimate test of parenting. The ultimate test of parenting is when they leave your house and can take care of themselves. That's the ultimate test. Will they be prepared to do that? Are they able to function on their own? A whole lot of children reach the pinnacle of adolescence stepping over into adulthood and seem to fall off a cliff. They're not able to master even the basics of taking care of themselves. They can't do for themselves because you did everything for them. And that's why corrective instruction and corrective discipline is necessary in raising them. Don't baby your children. Now, y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't have to give you no example of somebody babying the children because if you work somewhere, you work with somebody that was babied. Yeah, they may have a job, but they were babied every day. Somebody did everything for them. They can't, they can't manage the basics of working, even though they need a job. And they're just there because they say, I need a job. I need a job, and they haven't figured out yet that they have to put effort into that job, and they never had to do that. I mean, the basics of adulting, that's the terminology that's been created, adulting. There are classes at junior colleges popping up all over the country to deal with this category of young folk who do not know the basics of adulting. They don't know how to take care of the basics of home living. And so someone has to teach them that, literally how to iron, how to boil water for the, I mean, the basics of it. I wish it were not so, but it's true. Even here in Birmingham, those things are happening. Those things carry over because someone always did it for them. 
Adulting is the terminology. Um, they were given life on a silver platter until they became an adult and they realized that it was a tin plate. And they don't know how to even keep that going. In the book, Emotional Intelligence, why it can matter more than IQ, a lot of people love to tell you that their children are smart. Oh, he's smart, he's so smart. He can master this video game, or she can master this. But there's more important things than being able to play a video game, because life is not one of those things. <laughs> life is for real. The writer of that book says that mothers who protected their children who were timid from having upsetting experiences produced kids who were constantly plagued by the fear of activities when they grew older. In other words, if something, it was even speculated that it might upset their child and they pulled them back from it, that same child tended to grow up and have the same issues as an adult. But mothers who make their children confront things that tend to intimidate them found that they had resilient children who were more likely as adults to push through the barriers of fear and deal with the issues on their own. This is significant because how many like y'all have gone through life and had some things that were intimidating? I know I have. How many of you were afraid that day when you had to get up and go to that first interview, not knowing if those folk were going to tolerate you or not, but you had to grin and bear it and sit there and listen and deal with the consequences of it? How many of you were afraid going to your first day of school, if you went off to school and you were in a great big city by yourself? No one to turn to, no one to call. You had to learn how to conquer those issues. How many went to the military, got dropped off at the station, and everybody else left, and you had to learn how to deal with those issues? Don't baby your children. Correcting and instructing, correction and instruction, rather than babying a child, give them the confidence they need to learn how to perform in Life. Now, let me tell you, it's still hard when you've learned how to conquer those things. It's still hard pushing through every time. Every round goes higher and higher. But you got to learn how to lay the foundation for them and not baby them. It's a, one of the worst mistakes even good parents can do. I know they're cute. I, I know you don't want to see them cry. <clears throat> I know, I know you love it when they squeal with happiness. Yeah, but they get older and they get more demanding. And suddenly the stuff they were doing that was cute ain't cute no more. And suddenly they start taking for granted that the things you've been doing for them, you'll keep doing those same things. And when you attempt to correct them from it, you'll find another part of their personality comes out because now they have an expectation that you're going to do those things. There's no gratitude unless you teach them gratitude. And much of the time, gratitude is, a, is learned more from no than yes, which I believe children ought to hear abundantly more than yes for true appreciation. The second worst thing that parents can do, and let me go ahead and say this while I'm at it because I wouldn't be being true to myself. Sometimes all parents need for their children to come out right is for grandparents to get a good whooping. That's what they need, because grandparents have an abundance of resources and use them unwisely too much for the children. I'm saying it, and I'm one of them. Sometimes grandparents need to go sit in the corner on their wallet and be quiet. Second thing good parents do is they put their marriage last. Even good parents put the children's lives and activities ahead of everything else in the household. And they don't take care to take care of themselves. They don't do it. Now, I realize this as I step into this point that there are a lot of single parents. This is not to discount them 
And in fact, it applies to single parents too. Because even if there's a single parent, well, we know scientifically you can't make a baby by yourself. We haven't figured that one out yet. But even single parents have a responsibility to manage the relationship such that it is with the other parent. And the best way, even if not together, the best way for the children to come out okay is for there to be civility among those parents. An ongoing feud because of emotions and hurt feelings is not going to be beneficial to your child. I realize that's a complex situation. But the child in those situations has to be considered in all your deliberations and actions. But parents who are still together, still living in the same household, still in a marriage, be married. Be married. Love one another. Work on your love. Work on your relationship. If you're married, then you need to remember that as important as your children are, they're going to grow up and leave one day. And then the question is, what remains? What do you do with the two people still living in the house? You don't want to be an empty nest divorce statistics. Some parents reach the point of empty nesting, that's when children leave the house, and realize that the only thing they had in common was the children who just left. That's because they forgot how they got there. They forgot their first responsibility was to one another. You still have to do the things that got you to the place of being together. And the wisdom that Solomon gives in this instance is from, uh, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Let your, I mean, rejoice in the wife of your youth. This is chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse 18. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And then he goes on to start comparing. Solomon had a habit of comparing women in love to animals. He said, she is a loving deer, a graceful doe. He used to illustrate, <laughs> illustrate uh, 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 romance with wild animals, which was probably what they did at that time. It seems different now because we don't often equate women to a wild doe, but apparently that was beautiful at the time. Um, in other words, he said, remember when you first met her. Remember the energy you put into the relationship when you first came to know her. Remember how you spent all day longing to see her and planning what you were going to do with her. And I'm saying with her, I also mean with him too because it works both ways. Chapter five of, Sol of, uh, chapter five of Proverbs began with the king telling his, his son, stay away from promiscuous women. Telling him the right thing. He's telling him the right thing. The only problem is David forgot you got to do, he did what he did and not what he said. Actions speak louder. Solomon had heard the essence of his own coming into this world. He understood the complications that came with it. We need to make sure that we are teaching and doing the right thing. But one of the best things to counterbalance the lure of infidelity in a marriage is to keep the fires of romance burning. That's the best way. Be still in a dating posture with your spouse and let it mature. Make sure you still have date time. I realize most of the time that the days of the week are busy with children and homework and the things that they have to do. But as much as possible, even if it's just sitting down for two hours and watching the movie or TV together or doing nothing, just being together without the children, make that a special time for you. Kids take up a lot of time, but we do the things that we want to do and we make them important. And so you got to have a plan. Got a plan. Make it happen. Date your mate, hire a babysitter, or exchange babysitting duties with another couple if you can't afford to do that, or if you got your grandparents in town, then let them spend some time with little Johnny and baby. Let them spend some time 
with those kids. Or maybe there's an older couple in the church who would like to spend some time with them. Now, you need to have some well-behaved children in order to do that before they go over there and tear Miss Jones' house up. You might only get one time to do that before you have to pay a whole lot of money. You're going to start having to get date insurance after that. In other words, make sure you choose, choose wildly. Don't feel guilty about leaving your children with somebody else. In fact, you ought to be raising them so that you can do that, so that you know they can be, uh, they'll be okay. Studies have shown that children thrive in strong relationships between mother and father. In other words, they're more secure under those circumstances. And the opposite is, of course, too, when they sense that they're the center of attention at home, then they'll demand it at all times, even when you're trying to spend some time uh, together. They know how to manipulate that. Child-centered families are not healthy families. They're not. Children should be significant and important, but everything in the household should not revolve around what's going on with that child. Spend time with your children, but also spend time alone with your marriage partner. Another thing that parents do that seems good, but it's not, and that's putting your children in too many activities. Putting them in too many activities. Oh, yeah. Ecclesiastes is outside of Proverbs, but it was written by Solomon. Okay, so we're going to use three in one, what he says, for everything there's a season and a time for every activity under heaven, except for in most families these days who got two and three activities going on after school. Too many things they have to do. Can I tell you this? You might be over-obligating your child if you expect him to be an NBA-playing violin virtuoso. You, 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 may, you may not really understand what it takes to go into that, particularly if you understand the way they come into those positions now. Simply being tall, lean, and able to play ball, first of all, doesn't mean they want to. And second, doesn't mean they have the grit to keep up with the rigors of it today. The system has been set up such that now you have got to get into all of these uh, 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 traveling teams, all of these smaller league schools in order for your child to get on the radar to go get the, the scholarships. It's a whole lot of work and money associated with your child being in it. Just being good is not good enough. Your family is going to have to make a significant commitment. But likewise, if your child is a violin virtuoso and can play the violin like no other, you're going to put the same amount of work in getting them throughout the system. They're going to, you're going to be traveling a lot. You're going to be in and out of recitals. You better learn how to have patience. And I hope you love violin music and orchestra music because you're going to hear a lot of it if you want your child. And this is what's important, because if the child wants to. At some level, the child must have a say-so on what they're going to do. And, and, and I got to say this. Nobody has figured out yet how to have it all. They haven't. What I've also found is too often we don't talk to our children about what they really want. We find out something they want to do and then we put them in it. Make sure it's something that they want to do. Overextending them, working them to death, they never have time to just be kids. Can I tell you what my best days were in West End or whatever community we were living in at the time? My best days is getting up as early as I could, getting out of the house as quickly as I could, staying away from the house, playing with my friends as long as I could, and coming home completely exhausted from doing nothing but playing. Those were carefree, creative days. No, I didn't take any toy out with me, and I didn't stop having fun all day long. I didn't have anything. I didn't have a bike. I didn't, maybe sometimes I did, but I knew how to create my own good time. And thank God I was able to do that. Now, I realize things have changed, but outside hadn't changed. 
Children can still go outside and play if you allow them to. They can still have friends if you allow them to. You can foster those connections. Sitting in front of a TV and a video game all day long, while it does have its appeal, there are some other options available as well. And I hope that good parents will err on the side of exposing those children to those non-programmed spaces of time where the children can, in fact, have free, free form and free play. We need to balance all of that. And that's what the Bible is telling us, that we need to expose them to everything we can that's wholesome and there's a time for everything. Can I tell you what, too? Sometimes they need to learn how to be around you. Sometimes you need to have a good time with your, parent, with your children. That's important as well. And so there's a time for everything under heaven. Good parents also do this, and they think it's good, but I can tell you that it's a big mistake, and that is they try to be their children's best friend. Try to be their children's best friend. They think it's something that they could be said about that. Can I tell you, it never works. Never works. Yeah, in H. Jackson Brown's book entitled Life's Little Instruction, he has a quote that is powerful. He says, fathers are, pal are pals nowadays because they don't have the guts to be fathers. Yeah, can I tell you, being a child's father is the hardest thing in the world. Setting the example, being the example, doing the right thing consistently, casts light on how tough it is being a parent. And can I tell you this? The day comes, no matter how much of a relationship, a good relationship you have with your child, the day comes when you're going to tell them something they don't want to hear. That, that day is coming. They're going to make some choices that you might not think is good for them. And as their parent, you're required to give them the instruction. It's not optional. You're required to tell them the right thing to do. You have to tell them no. That's not good. And if they're still in your house, under your sphere of influence, you're required to take charge of those situations. That is not going to make them happy. And how many of you are in the habit of telling your best friend no? They probably won't be your best friend too long if you do that. When parents and children have weak boundaries between them, the result can be chaos. Can I tell you, you might go around boastfully saying that your child tells you everything, and I'm looking at you with a cocked eye saying, no, they don't. Anybody with sense knows that your child is not going to tell you everything. Just think about how life is. Your child is not going to tell you every single thing I've heard. It might be true, I'm not certain, Destiny, about fake social media pages. You know, the ones that you let your parents have access to, but then there's the one you use otherwise to communicate with your friends when you don't want them. There is no need for a child to have a fake social media page unless they're trying to hide something from you. No need. If they were so abundantly open to you, they wouldn't care what you read on there, can I tell you? It simply is not true. Children need to feel the safety of boundaries. The safety of boundaries. What's better, what's more important, is allow your children to have respected older children who they can confide in, who you trust for them to get advice from. Cultivate relationships around your family so that there are boundary people in there who you know are okay. And that way, when they don't feel comfortable coming to you, talking to you about the little girl who they like, they'll go to somebody who's going to give them some advice and give them some solid advice. And it doesn't have to come back to you because you know that that person's going to give them solid advice. Parents have to say no. Parents have to say no sometimes. If you struggle saying no, then you off your parenting game. You need to go back and practice right now. Start saying no to some things. Children need to learn sooner rather than later that life is not full of yeses. It's not. 
We learn that pretty quickly on jobs. That life, and sometimes it does not have to do with who's most qualified. That doesn't always work. And you have to learn how to take no in a situation when it rightfully should have been yes. And you have to be able to move on. And guess what? You can learn that in the house. You can learn that in the house. There are situations that might come up in the house. Both your children need an item. But for some reason, the youngest child has a need for it more than the oldest child. But you just got money for one of them. Well, that's one of those situations where you're going to have to teach somebody no. That we're going to have to wait a little while because baby boy has a need for this right now and you don't have to have it immediately. That's life lesson learning. The proper response is not to deny both of them. That's not even realistic. Teach them that their day will come when they can have something too. But this is not the time. Children need structure from their parents. And so being their best friend is not going to be as helpful in the long run. You also can fail to give your child structure. Let them do whatever they want. Go to bed whenever they want. Play as long as they want. Eat whatever they want. Proverbs 29 and 18 says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is lawful, is joyful. The rod of correction, Proverbs 29 and 15, imparts wisdom. But a child left to himself disgraces his mother. You know it's true. You know it's true. Any child you know that's been able to do whatever they want to. I've had some friends who could go like they wanted to, when they wanted to, and the results became pretty obvious. You know them too. You got those friends too. They rolled, they stayed out as long as they want. You had to be back at the house at X amount of time. They didn't. You learn pretty long, pretty quickly, don't ride with them. Cause they don't care. <laughs> They don't care. You'll be missing the football game next week. They'll still be going. You got to learn how to do that. And guess what? Mama gave me the curfew, but I had to learn how to respect the curfew myself. It wasn't enough for me to go in the house and blame my friend for it because Mama didn't give my friend the curfew. She gave it to me. And so when you have that kind of teaching, it comes to a place where you learn how to teach yourself. And that's the point of giving your children structure. Children learn internal structure when they have external structure. When you give them direction, when you tell them things rep repetitiously, they learn to say it for themselves. And I know it's so because some of y'all are still doing some things. And in fact, you're doing some things you swore you would never do that you heard your parents say over and over and over again, and it's been so externally driven into you, and you found at a later point in life that it has value to you, and now you have started using it yourself. I know it's right. I know I'm right. Your parents would tell you as you were kids, pick up the toys in your room. Clean up behind yourself. They said it so much, that before long, before you dealt with the consequences of not doing it, you started telling yourself, I need to pick up the toy in my room. Mama told you, watch for cars before you cross the street. She told you that over and over again. You get to a corner, watch for cars. Even when mama wasn't with you, you started looking both ways when you got to the corner. Why? Because what you've been taught externally, you have internalized. That goes with every form of teaching. That goes with, be careful who you hang out with, son. Choose your friends wisely. Pay attention to what they do when they're around you, and you'll learn to choose your friends wisely. You have to teach and talk to them about these things. But when you fail to give the structure or correction, then children do what? They go to default mode. And you know what default mode is for anybody? What feels good to you, you do it. And when you start doing what feels good to you, when you lack self-discipline, then the natural inclination will lead you to your own self-gratification and often that leads you into trouble. When you say to yourself, I don't want to put these toys up, I'll put them up tomorrow. 
When you don't have the guidance and instruction, you'll find yourself living in chaos because you've never disciplined yourself to be able to do that. And then it makes it even worse when you've attempted that instruction, the child has ignored it and you come behind them and do it. Then they learn the lesson that if I just prolong it, mama will come in and fix it and I won't have to do it at all. Can I tell you right now, boss ain't gonna clean up behind your child when they have instructions to do something. And a lot of times your child can't hold a job because you did not discipline them at the house. And they keep coming home telling you, those folks were unfair to me. Those folks didn't treat me right. They were prejudiced. They were ABC. And the truth of the matter is, good parents make bad mistakes when they don't give their children discipline. One other thing that's come of late, and I don't know that it's always been the case, but I believe it's a function of this materialistic world we live in, and that's when another mistake that good parents make. They work hard, as hard as they can, but then they expect their children to fulfill their dreams. Oh yeah, they, ex they have an expectation that their children will fulfill their dreams. Watch this now, Proverbs 20 and 29 says, the glory of the young is their strength, and the gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. I hear it time and time again. There are a whole lot of advantages to being young. Solomon tells us that. Only thing is you don't have as much as you have when you're old. You don't. And of course the reverse of that is true. Yeah, we don't need to envy the things that another age group has. And we don't need for that age group to provide us with the things that we could not get. That's simply not how it works. Older folks have more experience and more wisdom than young folk. That's simply a product of living longer. There's this notion that you've got a concentrated form of wisdom. There's some wisdom that only comes with living. We deny that. I did when I was younger. I thought I, thought I knew then more than I did. That's simply a function. Therefore, parents should let their children fulfill their own dreams. They're not becoming a mega star so you can have everything you ever wanted in life and were never able to get. How many times do you hear parents suing their children to recoup what they put into them when they were younger? It happens time and time again. Can I tell you, if your children reach a point where they can help you and support you, oh, what a blessing from the Lord. Maybe you didn't achieve every success you want, but your crowning achievement is your child. And having a good relationship with them far surpasses any material thing you could ever have. And if you raise them in a loving, supportive environment, then that will throw its own blessings to you. But there should be no requirement that my son gonna grow up and go to the NFL so he can buy his mama that house she always wanted or buy daddy that house he always wanted, or get me that car I always wanted. That evidence is a level of immaturity that should not exist in a parent-child relationship. I can tell you this right now. I've never been prouder of seeing a young man exemplify himself than I have of Tua Tagovailoa. Tua loves his parents. He talks about them more than he talks about himself. And I've watched him I saw him buy a house down in Miami, a house big enough for his family to live in. Now this is the same family that sacrificed and came to mainland US for him. So there have been some sacrifices all around, but I don't have any doubt that there's a wholesome relationship going on there and that he is blessing them with the blessings he's received, not because they require it, but because he genuinely wants to be able to do that. Now I could be wrong. But it doesn't appear that way. It's, it appears to be a loving relationship. But can I tell you this? Less than 1% of the folk gonna play in the NFL. I'm talking about Junior who got a job working real good down in Mercedes. He can't pay his, his, his uh, uh, mortgage and yours too. He gotta take care of his family. You can't have that expectation that he's gonna take care of all your needs. Be careful how you put that pressure on him. And then last but not least, 
the most significant thing that parents do, most significant things is ignore their own spiritual life while they're raising their children. Because you're so busy doing other things that you ain't got time to have a relationship with the Lord. Can I tell you, this is foundational. Having a solid relationship with the Lord is necessary to all the other things falling in place. Proverbs 21 and 3 says, The Lord is more pleased when we do what is right and just than when we offer him sacrifices. So in other words, you may work your fingers to the bone so your children can have everything you want, they want or ask for, but you neglect your relationship with him, that's not pleasing to God. The verse is simply encouraging us that going through religious motions without having an actual relationship doesn't do anyone any good. Proverbs 21 and two says, people may be right in their own eyes, but God examines our heart. He knows when you have a sincere relationship. And a lot of people are missing out on the greatest resources they can have, and that is a solid relationship with the Lord, who will give you, I say this all the time, God makes time so he can make time work for you. God still has cattle on a thousand hills so he can make sure that whatever resources you need, you have them. That doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want. No, no, but he's going to make sure that there's never a day that his children aren't taken care of. Proverbs 20 and 7 says that the godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. Always, always, always make sure that the main thing is the main thing, and that's your relationship with the Lord. If I ignore my spiritual life, then God cannot bless me as much as he desires to do because I'm not in tune to him. I'm not listening to him. But most of us are too distracted to be truly spiritual. We don't spend our time on the necessary requirements of walking with the Lord. So if you made any mistakes in the past with the Lord, good news for you, he's a forgiver. Not only that, he can continue to instruct you and guide you and make you better going forward than you have been or that you would have been on your own. Trust in him. And if you never started the relationship with him, today is the day. You can give your children a, a rich legacy by forming a relationship with the Lord. Accept the gift that he gave us in his son dying for us and start sharing the good news in your household and watch everybody get better by that relationship. But first, it starts with you. Accept the gift of salvation. Accept the love that he gave and use his relationship with his son as an example of your relationship with your children. May God bless you. May God keep you is my prayer. Take care. We'll see you next week in the Cyber Sanctuary.